Our reading today is from Mark chapter 10. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. He took the twelve aside again and began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles, they will mock him and spit upon him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise again. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it that you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lorded over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. They came to Jericho, and he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. So, throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Grace and peace to you this morning. Reading the Bible in 21st century America can be challenging. I love modern science as much as anyone else, and we owe a lot of improvements in our lives to it. And I know we have people in this congregation whose holy and God-given vocation 
is to use scientific thinking to bring about change in the world. Nurses and doctors, engineers, nutritionists. But we miss out on something important if we bring this scientific mindset, and only this scientific mindset, to our reading of Holy Scripture. Today, our scientific brains might train us to zoom into one moment in the text, this moment where Bartimaeus gets his sight restored, and what we really want to know is, did it actually happen? Did nerves really reconnect eye to brain at the sound of Jesus' voice? And if so, how? What is that mechanism of change? And if it didn't happen, then what? Is Jesus not all he's cracked up to be? Is my faith in vain? Or perhaps is it the mere fact that I'm questioning that this happened at all shows that my faith might be in poor shape altogether? This is an unhelpful line of questioning. Reading the story, this story, through a lens of modern science is like using a drill when you should be using a paintbrush. It's not that a drill is bad. It's actually a good tool. It's just the wrong one to use at this moment. We see things the way we are trained to see them. And our culture has taught us to read this story as a curing story. But there are other ways of seeing out there, too. Ways that can change us and invite us to see the world anew. For instance, did you know that most of the original hearers of this story wouldn't have batted an eye? when Bartimaeus' sight is restored. Jesus was a man who went around curing people of maladies through faith, yes, and that's a good thing, but he was not the only one in Israel who did that. There were plenty of people in Jesus' day who were traveling faith healers, who would do things exactly like this. And we miss the point if we read this story and walk away going, well, I guess Jesus was powerful because he cured this one person. That wouldn't have made headlines in ancient Israel. There is a cure in this story, but curing isn't the point. This is a healing story. And we get confused between the two between curing and healing. Curing in the Bible is anything Jesus does that alleviates the suffering of one individual. It's usually the removal of some malady, blindness, fever, seizures, a bent back. The result is external and observable. It's a quick fix to a problem it's getting rid of the symptoms. And this is a good thing. I, for one, am glad that Bartimaeus can see again. But woe to us if we think that's all Jesus is doing in these stories. Jesus is also healing. And healing is different 
than curing. It's way more expansive. Healing is about the wholeness of being that comes with God's presence. It's grasping the abundant life here and now that God is placing before us. Healing is a restoration of the self, the reclaiming of the image of God that lies deep within you. And it's also about the restoration of relationships, the replacement of violence and fear and enmity between us with the shalom, the deep peace that God intends and longs for. Healing can involve curing, but it doesn't need to. Hospice nurses have been known to talk about the healing they've witnessed, even as someone dies. As they leave this world, perhaps this person reconciles with their family and forgiveness flows in a place where it hadn't before. As they die, perhaps the person gives up their bitterness and defensiveness that they've carried with them their whole life and for their final days spends it wide-eyed in a state of gratitude and wonder. Perhaps this person sees with clarity God's hand at work holding them, surrounding them, uniting them to God's eternal love. The dying are not cured, but they are healed sometimes. So where is the healing in this story? Where do we see the restoration of wholeness, the repairing of relationships, the revealing of God's presence? The curing may be when Jesus gives Bartimaeus his sight back, but the healing is when Jesus teaches Bartimaeus to see. It's more than physical sight that Jesus cares about. It's about how we understand the world and how we live because of it. He's just reprimanded his slow-witted disciples about this very point. James and John, wanting validation for walking off their jobs to follow Jesus, ask Jesus for a box seat in heavenly glory. They think that Jesus uses the tit-for-tat logic of this world, and that their giving a little bit now means that they should gain a lot later. James and John have their sight— but they also cannot see what Jesus is all about. Because the paradox of the kingdom of God that Jesus has come to reveal is that the gain occurs precisely within the giving. Jesus hasn't come to merely improve some people's lives. He's come to reconcile all creation to God. He hasn't come to cure the world, but he has come to heal it. And so he tells his disciples this, To follow me, you must be as one who serves. If you want to be great, you must tend to the needs of others. This is the way that Jesus sees the world, not as a static hierarchy where each one of us defers to the one at the top, 
but as a stream of compassion whose waters flow to each one of us in our wounds with the promise of God's wholeness. This is a story about seeing again, and Jesus is restoring not just Bartimaeus's sight, but our own as well. It's about seeing the ways of the kingdom of God and the logic of healing, which goes so much deeper than any cure. I've been thinking a lot this week about the high schoolers from Parkland, Florida, in the wake of a school shooting that left their friends and teachers dead, they have refused to stay silent and have been consistent about calling out the inordinate power of the gun lobby in American politics. They've shrugged off attacks on their character with the kind of wit and sarcasm that only a teenager can possess. They are focused and driven and loud, and oh so inspiring to me. They are pressing for a cure for the unique level of gun violence we see in this country, and they are looking for ways to use public policy to fix it. And I agree with them. I think the way forward for us calls probably for fewer guns rather than more of them, but I also know that the problem of violence in our country is so much deeper than any one background check or assault weapon ban can solve. And I think about these youth, and I know that even if they are successful in their aims for fixing public policy, eventually the trauma is going to catch up with them. They're going to have to face the horrors of that day. And they're looking to cure our society's ills. But I wonder how their own hearts are going to find healing. Now, you all know me at this point, a year and a half into my tenure here. You know I love pursuing justice for the oppressed. And you've heard me preach about it. Some of my sermons have been calls to action. And yes, a lot of what we do here is wrestle with how God is calling us to show up in the world. But I also think that that's not the point of church. I don't want you to think about this place as somewhere where when you leave, you feel like you have homework a list of tasks that you must perform to cure society's evils. I want this place instead to be somewhere where you glimpse what God's healing and restoring love looks like for you. Church ought to be a place where we come into God's healing presence together it's got to be a place where we cry out as Bartimaeus did, have mercy on me. Church is a place where you can say, I'm scared. I'm hurting. I don't understand. I am lost. Here, bring your burdens 
for the extraordinary promise about this place is that Christ bears them with you. Here, name your brokenness. Christ's word and presence give you the promise of wholeness. Here, call out for mercy. And then take heart and get up. For God is calling you to see the world anew. There is an abundance of divine life to be had. And there is healing for your weary soul. Amen.